thank you. We are progressing in this journey and we're almost done. Uh, tonight we are going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to do what I did last week by going to the message translation in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And just read as much as possible, first of all, and then we're going to go into our Bible and begin to exegete. Hebrews chapter 10 from the message translation. And again, I choose this for reading because it's a little easier flow and it's easier to understand given the complexity of some of the things discussed in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10 verse 1, message translation. It's on the screen for your aid if you don't have that translation with you. The old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. Since that old law plan wasn't complete in itself, it couldn't complete those who followed it. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshippers who have gone merrily on their way no longer dragged down by their sins. But instead of removing awareness of sin, when those animal sacrifices were repeated over and over, they actually heightened awareness and guilt. The plain fact is that bull and goat blood can't get rid of sin. That is what is meant by this prophecy put in the mouth of Christ. You don't want sacrifices and offerings year after year. You've prepared a body for me for a sacrifice. It's not fragrance and smoke from the altar that, you, that whet your appetite. So I said, I'm here to do your way, O God, the way it's described in your book. When he said you don't want sacrifices and offerings, he was referring to practices according to the old plan. When he added, I'm here to do it your way, he set aside the first in order to enact the new plan, God's way, by which we are made fit for God by, one, by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, out, year, in year out and never makes a dent in the sin problem. Wow. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Wow. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. Isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on a lining of their hearts. He concludes, I will forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. 
So, friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as a priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So, let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keeps us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Now, verse 26. If we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth we now know, we repudiate Christ's sacrifice and are left on our own to face judgment. To face the judgment. And a mighty fierce judgment it will be. If the penalty for breaking the law of Moses is physical death, what do you think will happen if you turn on God's son, spit on a sacrifice that made you whole, and insult, insult this most gracious spirit? This is no light matter. God has warned us that he will hold us accountable and make us pay. It was quite explicit. Vengeance is mine and I won't overlook a thing. And God will judge his people. Nobody's getting by with anything, believe me. I think that's enough. Let's, let's just dive into the message uh, and just take it from there. Now, last week we addressed... Uh, precisely what the writer or the author said to us from Hebrews chapter 9, uh, clearly making the distinction between the various parts of the sanctuary that Israel had in the tabernacle. Uh, talking about the outer court, the place where the sacrifice was offered, the holy place, the place where the priest came in to serve or uh, to do ministry. And then, of course, talks about the most holy place uh, wherein laid the Ark of the Covenant. And we made certain observations, which I'm going to use as a launching pad into the rest of the uh, teaching this evening. We said that in the outer court, sin was satisfied, and therefore, in that realm, we recognize Jesus as our Savior, and we are praising him continually for our salvation. And then we moved on to say that in the arrow court, we are empowered for service. That's where the priest came in and trimmed the lights and uh, served the bride uh, in the holy place and trimmed and put coals on the altar of incense. So in the arrow court, we are saved. We praise God for our salvation. In the holy place, we minister to one another. We uh, equip for service, salvation, service. And then, of course, in the most holy place, we said we are seated together with him. These are three distinct uh, postures or three distinct uh, 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 estates of a believer. Now, if you look in chapter 10, going further to develop that thought, in verse 3, the Bible says, but in those sacrifices, well, yeah, before I even get to verse 3, I think it's important for us to, to recognize here uh, over and over and over and over, this book continues to remind us of the difference between the old and the new. 
It starts us in chapter 10 by telling us that the old does not take care of everything. It points us, it reminds us of the inadequacies, the shortcomings, and the failures that we have. But it was never enough to help me overcome those things. It just merely satisfied the requirement of the law and left me as I am. That's a huge difference between the old covenant and the era and dispensation of grace. Because with grace, what God is trying to do with me and you is work inside of me so that what he desires to see on the outside will be manifest. That is huge. God is doing inside work within us so that the outward appearance of what people see when they come in touch with me and in contact with me will satisfy the, 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 the economy of God because he has done the work from the inside. I'm changed from the inside out. Huge, huge difference, okay? So on and on and on and on, he's trying to tell us, hey, listen, this old, this old is inferior to the new. But more importantly, in verse 3 here, let me read that again. I'm reading now from the New King James. After he's told us in verse 2 that for then would they have not would, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified will have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. This is the problem. And this is important for me and you to understand the two aspects of being in that outer court area. There's an aspect in which I appreciate my salvation. I thank God for my Savior. And that is healthy. That is good. That should be our disposition concerning what God has done for us. But the bigger danger is what the Bible said in Hebrews 10.3. Those guys under the old covenant, every time they take an oxen or a bullock or any animal to be offered for their sins, their point of reference consistently was on the fault and the shortcoming and their failure and their sins. So with each sacrifice, rather than being pointed to the Savior, because it was a continual one that never took care of their shortcomings, they were constantly reminded, ah, yeah, you blew it again. Ah, you are a fornicator. There you go again. Oh, you are a thief. There you go again. You did this last week. You're going to do it next month. You do it next year. Yes, that's your history. Huge. The amazing thing, the reason this is so important is, do you remember Jesus, what he said concerning the elements of our communion, the elements of the New Testament, the bread and the blood. He said, when we partake of communion, what did he say? This you do in what? In remembrance of me. As opposed to the old covenant, when the sacrifices were offered, the offerer was reminded of his sin. But in the new covenant, every time I partake of communion, the broken body of the Lord Jesus, the blood that was shed for my sins. Every time I partake of those emblems, I am never thinking of how much I've failed, how sick I am, how broke I am, the things that are wrong with me. No. It invokes a remembrance of how Jesus once and for all went to the cross and in so doing showed us the greatest manifestation of God's love and broke the back of the devil. 
Huge difference. Totally different system. And the reason this is so important. What you spend the time thinking on is what you are. I'll say that again. <laughs> Why do you think in our world we are so much bombarded with commercials? Animated. I mean, I mean, Super Bowl, Super, this World Cup series, if anybody's watching the soccer games, I mean, it's crazy. All kinds of commercials coming at you. Super Bowl Sunday, same thing. I mean, those guys, they spend all year waiting for Super Bowl. And everybody's talking about what kind of commercials are going to be on Super Bowl. Why? Because those guys, they, 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 they go and find the most innovative, the most creative. Why? They want to get our attention. And corporations pay millions of dollars for 30, 30 second spots. Because they want to leave something in your memory. You're going to go home, go to work, go to the marketplace thinking of what you saw. Why? Because they know that if they can put it in your memory, Ah, and you look at it long enough, you think about it long enough, you'll be it. So Jesus said, do this, not in remembrance of your shortcoming, but in remembrance of me. And we know that this is consistent with scriptures. Because indeed, even back in the Old Testament, when those animals were being offered, the priests who offered or who killed the animal did not even focus on the offerer. His focus was the animal that was brought. He examined the animal, make sure it was without spot, without blemish, pure, and qualified for the altar or for the sacrifice. So in the same manner, Jesus wants us to know, listen, I am your offering. I paid the price in full, not with bulls, oxen, goats, and animals, but I took upon those animals. I became what the animals could not do. And in so doing, now focus on me. Huge. So the author here was reminding these Hebrews who are now Christians but persecuted and who stood the chance of going back to what they used to know to remind them that the emphasis now in the new covenant should be on Jesus, who became the offering for us, and not, and not on the, uh, uh, in the shortcomings of the people. Uh, and I know I said this a minute ago, but I, I just want to emphasize it one more, a little bit more. Uh, it's amazing that even right now, as you sit in this sanctuary, listen to this message on tape, however you're getting it. If you ever invoked a thought about something good that happened to you in the past, all of a sudden, you feel warm and fuzzy again. Just like that. Just like that. If you, if, if you just thought, maybe, maybe it was a graduation. Oh, wow, you worked hard, you finally finished school, whether it's high school or college, or whatever it was, and you just see yourself again. You remember the day you walked across that stage to receive a diploma. All of a sudden. No matter what's happening to you right now, instantly, you just felt good all of a sudden again. Why? Because the spirit that was present at that time, once that thought is invoked by you, that spirit shows up again. The opposite of that is also true. If you recall a bad experience, something negative, something that just left you very, very upset, 
whenever it was, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 5 weeks ago, if you brought that thought back up, that same spirit that got you all wild up and angry and mad shows up instantly. Why? Because through your thought, you invited that spirit in. It's huge. So now Paul, because of that, right into the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 4, having written all manner of things to them, closes that book out in Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren. In other words, in conclusion to everything I've been saying to you, finally, this is going to be important for your survival. In verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because, because there's a way with joy in God repeats itself and begins to create an atmosphere in you, around you, for the manifestation of the supernatural. Goes on to say, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now in verse 8 it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Huge. Huge. So the onus is on you and I to guide and garrison our minds, not to allow things to come in and to not to dwell on things that's going to reproduce the harvest we don't want. The Bible says in another passage of scripture, in 2 Corinthians, casting down every imagination and every high thing, high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought what captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, it's up to you and I. You say, Pastor, does that mean I can never think of any bad thing? No. When those thoughts come, you recognize them for what they are, and you shut it down. You dwell on it long enough, you're going to do it. You're going to be it. That's why Paul said, we should not be ignorant of the devices or the wiles of the devil. The mind of man or woman is the largest battlefield you ever think of. That's, that's what's happening. If you don't cast it down, it will cast you down. So we need to become proficient in that in order to survive the, the, uh, the onslaught of the enemy. Amen? So as we invoke the memory of Jesus our Savior, we gain mastery over the sinful act because our memory of him as Savior is what permits uh, uh, it's what becomes very uh, evident to us. Okay, Hebrews, uh, let me go to verse 4 now. And again. All right. Now, in verses 4 to 9, it begins to talk about uh, 
It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Paul, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. You almost want to, as you read this passage, this verses 5 through uh, 9 or 10, you almost get the impression that the Trinity was talking to one another on the eve of Christmas, if you will, when I say Christmas, on the eve of his incarnation. You almost get the idea that the conversation was going on where he's saying, where uh, Jesus said to the Father, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But the body you pre- prepared for me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In other words, I'm ready now. It's time for me to go and incarnate myself. It's time for me to go into the realm of the earth and become the son of God. Now, the question here for me, as I was thinking all through this, if God had no pleasure in his offerings and sacrifices, why did he institute it? Maybe we'll take a moment and talk about this. Any takers on this? Clearly, it says it here. Clearly for, two, for 1,500 years, as they offered the sacrifices and killed the bull and the oxen and the goat, turtle dove, and all, clearly we know for a fact, number one, they did not take away sins. Number two, he says, I really have no pleasure in this. So the question to God, why did you allow it? Why did you bring it in if you have no pleasure in it? Anybody wants to take a stab at this? <laughs> it's not that deep. I believe um, from the very beginning, from that sacrifice of animals, those animals were innocent. And it took an innocent life to, um, to be sacrificed for a guilty life. And also the scripture said that life is in the blood. I believe um, God the Father was setting up the, the, the scene for his son that was innocent to shed his blood. And through his blood and through his death, we would have life. Okay. Do you all agree with that? <laughs> Judith shaking her head. But not confidently, okay? <laughs> anybody, anybody else want to take a step of that, Matilda? <laughs> um, I think, my personal opinion, he had to give us something to relate to. We, we could understand going through the process of the bullocks and the, and the lambs, but then when the real thing came on the scene, we could relate because we had already experienced that through the natural. So it was a natural thing that went over into a spiritual thing. Amen. That's, that's good. That's, that's it. That's, this was good. What Pastor Shannon said was good. This is, I don't want to say gooda, but this, <laughs> this is better yet. Anybody else? Yes. Right there. Um, my opinion of it or my belief is that uh, Jesus was, we have to have faith in the blood in order to receive forgiveness and I think that that was an exercise of faith for what was coming in the future. Amen. 
Wow, it's getting better and better. Anymore. Good, better, best. Which, which one is going to... Marie, you have a hand? Praise God. Wow, this is, get, this is getting very interesting. Very good contributions. Very, very good. The Bible tells us that um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And okay. like all the other um, contributions... Um, Say that again. Say it. I, I can barely hear you. Oh, without the shedding of blood, mm -hmm. there's no remission of sins. And in the law, I believe, you know, he had made, uh, he had told the Israelites that they, they had to um, make some sacrifices in order to enter into his presence. So like everyone else said, you know, just to piggyback, um, it, it's, it's a type of I guess the shadow of the real thing that is to come. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Okay, Tanira over there. Very, very good. Thanks. This may be a little bit simplistic, but um, a sacrifice, you know, usually when people sacrifice something, it kind of hurts. And I don't know if... Um, these animals that they have, you know, in their flock, that was of value to them in, in a sense. I know that usually that was like a form of money or something like that. So maybe on a, you know, a personal level, um, using that animal, it, it hurts to sacrifice because they're, they're losing something. I don't, I don't know. Of value. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anybody else before? I don't want to miss anybody out. <laughs> okay. Did you want to say something, Daniel? Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what everybody said is very, is, is very good, and it really uh, helps us establish the reason. Uh, let, let me go to one scripture. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, First Corinthians 15. Wow, I just saw this scripture just now. Mm. Okay, verse 46. It says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. This is in this passage where Paul was comparing about uh, first Adam, the last Adam, uh, uh, the, the, it is sown in the natural body, it's raised in the spiritual body, and on and on and on. And this is a principle that we find throughout scriptures that God really uses. Uh, another clear example would be John chapter 6. This is a very familiar scripture or uh, passage of scripture that will help understand what I'm trying to say here. In John chapter 6, we see Jesus feed the multitudes. They were hungry, and it felt like oh, they needed, they needed to be fed. And there was one small lad there whom Philip recognized as having fish and bread. And what did he do? He fed them. And after he fed them, he told them to gather the fragments and they collected 11 baskets. Do you remember that story? And immediately thereafter, this is John chapter 6, verses 25 all the way through 59, immediately he finished feeding them natural, physical bread, food, which filled them and they were happy. What did he tell them? 
I am the bread of life. What is he trying to do? This is called double loop learning. And you can forget that terminology if you, if you know if it's but, but it's double loop learning. What does that mean? He gave them something physical that they can relate to. Something that met their current and present need. Bread and fish. They were all hungry. They ate it. Ah, man, this is good. This is better than golden coral. My goodness. Jesus, five-course meal. We are full. And while they were still savoring that fullness and enjoying the fullness from the fish and bread, he immediately tells them, I am the bread of life. Me now, I am the person you're looking at. I am the bread of life. What is he trying to do? He's trying to convey to them, just as physical bread and fish filled you and satisfied you. Me that you're looking at, Jesus, I am the I, when you come to me, in the same manner as you are filled and your physical needs met with fresh, with bread and fish, this is exactly what believing in the Son of God will do in your life. When you accept me, the way you just felt, or you are just feeling about how your need is met and how you feel satisfied and you are no longer hungry, that's how I fill you up. So you use a natural demonstration of meeting a physical need to convey a spiritual truth. Do you get that? First learning there is, I give you physical food to eat. Second learning is, okay, I want to equate the spiritual need being met with the fact that spiritually, as the bread of life, I can meet your needs. Now, I'm not sure if those guys that they got the message. <laughs> but that's what was on the covering to them. Likewise, coming back now to the question I asked about when God says, I have no pleasure in these sacrifices, why did he give it? Because God was using this very physical things to show them or to point to something that was coming in his son Jesus Christ the ultimate sacrifice if they can un understand the natural then hopefully when the spiritual and the fullness of the natural comes they will be able to accept and understand it does, does that make any sense just like and I, I didn't see here my, in, the, in the currency in my pocket. When you hold or put a $1 bill in your pocket, what does that mean? $1 bill. Talk to me. You got a dollar. What makes the dollar the dollar? Value of exchange. Good. Who creates that value of exchange? Say it again. Ah, Collins, my friend. <laughs> Say it loud. Government. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. This is the point. The dollar be in your pocket. What it represents is the full weight and uh, the full weight and uh, what's the word? Thank you, sir. The full weight and backing of the U.S. government. That's all it is. 
the full weight and backing of the U.S. government. Of course, not, not with the liberals spending everything that they don't have, because if, if, if that's what you are looking at, then this thing means absolutely nothing. This is your pocket, but it means nothing. Okay? But, but the point being made is, for every U.S. dollar in your pocket, you have a, an assurance, a confidence, that it carries the full weight and backing of the U.S. government, that if you tender it, it will be acceptable. Now, for those of us that have come out of economies and countries where we've seen currency change, uh, I've not lived here long enough to see it, but, but if you carry currency that was used before the Civil War in the United States, is it, is it legal to today? No. No. Because that currency died with that generation. You can carry it in your pocket, but it has no backing behind it. I lived in Nigeria in the years when it changed from pounds and uh, shillings to the current currency. So if I put in, if I stored away in my house in Nigeria, all those pounds, Nigerian pounds, and, and I was a millionaire, I had one million Nigerian pounds. And I put that in my pocket and I said, I'm going to go to the market and go and shop. I have one million pounds, I want to buy a, a, a Maserati. Who's backing that currency? That currency is fired. Thank you. <laughs> it's fired. Nobody backs it. So what God is saying to us through these animal sacrifices, the animal sacrifices and that whole system was, even though God had no pleasure per se in killing of those animals and in their blood because he can do absolutely nothing to take care of the sin issue, However, God is saying, if you do it, if you go through that process, it carries with it the full weight and backing of the economy of heaven. And when the full comes, when the fullness comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, that fullness now replaces the old and that's it. So really, it's a pointer. It points to the ultimate sacrifice. And then, of course, through and in it, we have the full backing of the, of the uh, economy and kingdom of God. Let me just address this very difficult passage, for, and then we'll go home. Uh, in verse, I think 25, Hebrews, back to Hebrews 10. Verse 26. For if we willfully sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So what does this mean? And I say this every time we, we, we come across a pack, passage like this. It is very important that you do not ignore all the things he's been saying prior to whatever the verse is. You cannot take this verse in isolation and come out with an interpretation. It's going to be off. It's going to be off. You hear me? It says, but if we willfully, if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fear indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on a testimony of two or three witnesses. 
of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled upon the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? The Spirit of grace. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line here is talking to a people who came out of the old covenant law and now they have accepted the new covenant. They are in the new covenant, but there's all this uh, persecution, there's temptation for them to go back to the system, to the old system. So So the writer makes it clear at the very beginning, the old is obsolete, it's gone, it's done away with. So now if I sin... And I think I can go back to the offering of bulls and oxen and animal sacrifice to take care of my sin. I'm in big trouble. Because that system is totally, completely done away with. It's done away with. I can no longer now pull up myself by my own bootstraps by offering an animal sacrifice. So the issue here is not talking about me falling back into lying or stealing or committing adultery. The sin here, the sins, what we are talking about here is creating your own systems to satisfy God other than what God himself has already put in place. Huge. And that's why you will notice throughout the book of Hebrews, over and over and over, he belabors the point, making the distinction. This is obsolete. It's incomplete. He can't get the job done. In other words, if you go back and submit yourself to an incomplete system, you're on your own. You're on your own. You're on your own. Notice what it says. If we sin willfully, in other words, I have been taught. I have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have believed on his name. I have known that Jesus offered himself as the once and for all perfect sacrifice. I know these things. And I say, you know what? I, I just remember those days when we used to take bull and oxen to the temple. For some reason, I just, I just believe for every shortcoming in my life, maybe two bulls will take care of it. Or, or an oxen. We trample upon the spirit of grace. And it's amazing to me that the writer says there, spirit of grace. That was the major point of contention. What do we know about grace? For by faith are you saved. Through what? Grace. Not of works, but it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So I cannot boast that because I offered very huge bull, that's why God took up that situation for me. Because I can just picture my mind's eyes, those Hebrews, when they go into the temple. They may stop at Dr. Norfolk's house and say, I'm, I'm on my way to the temple. Look at what I'm offering. Look how big my bull is. I'll, let me see your bull. Let me see your oxen. This is what you take to the temple? Oh my God. You, you, better, you need to pray harder. I can imagine that going on. Because those guys boasted and prided themselves in what they can offer God. But God wants, me, wants, wants you and I to go to know 
We cannot reinvent our own system. We should not do that. Particularly when we do that willfully, after having come to the knowledge of truth. It would be like saying that what Jesus did is not sufficient. It's not sufficient. This can definitely not say, this cannot be saying that if I sin, that God does not have mercy on me. Because if that's what this is saying, it cancels everything else in scripture. <laughs> I mean, you, you cannot have it both ways. It cannot be saying that if you sin as a believer, that there's no, there's no more sacrifice for you. There's no more mercy. No. Because the Bible is very clear on that. That if you do sin, you confess your sins. And that God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. As long as I am focusing on Jesus to be my savior. Huge. But what God is saying is if you decide to create your own system, you are your own. <laughs> and that, that's, I think that's fair. That's fair again. Amen? Okay, let's just, you have a question? So when a believer or either, um, when you say create your own system, anything outside of what God has established through Jesus Christ um, is either um, false religion, would you say? What I'm trying to say is some people believe that if you go dip seven times in a river or something, something, or they fast and they pray 40 days that they're going to be blessed or delivered. Is that a system that they're making up themselves to bring forth something or trying to force something to happen? I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. That if a believer decides to fast for 40 days, for instance, or dips in the river seven times. You're asking if what they've done, either in fasting or dipping in the river, has a means to bring the manifestation of the river. Is that, is that am I? If they emphasize, they believe that this is something that if they do, yeah. uh, will lead to some result and healing or deliverance or blessing them. Well, and I'm, I'm saying that because there are different things that happen yeah. and, and traditions and different things like that that people believe in. Yeah. The, the caution I want to throw at is there are times when people do those what we call off or how, how shall I describe this? Uh, things that are not traditional. Things that are not okay. There are times when God will lead you to do certain things that's not that, that nobody else is doing. So I cannot say because a person went, went to deep in the river seven times. If the Spirit of God told them to do so, it's a different thing. But when they do so, they are not attributing their healing or manifestation to the river. It is the Spirit of God who gave them that instruction that must get the credit, not the thing that they did. 
And then, when that happens, I cannot teach that as a doctrine. That was a personal dealing of God in my life to do something that does not mean anybody else has to do. So I cannot pin that experience on anybody else and say, oh, to get your chattahoochee 14 times for you. <laughs> that would be crazy. So what I'm saying is, I am not a judge of mine or any other system. All I know is God has given us a, a, a revelation of himself through his word. Okay? The safest thing to do is follow Jesus. And the pattern he has already established. I am sure there will be people in Jesus' days when they spit in the, on the ground and made mud and put it on somebody's eyes. Says, what kind of herbalist is this? This must be a voodoo man. Because at that time, nobody has done it. And remember, the Bible makes it very clear that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, the safety net for me and you is whatever God says to us, we find in the scriptures. But I'm also saying you cannot tie God's hand. That, that's the question I'm throwing out. Does that make any sense? It's, it's almost like if I, I didn't answer your question, but what, what I'm saying to you is, <laughs> what I'm saying to you is, ultimately, God has to be the final judge, and his word is what guides us. But I'm saying to you, every now and then, God may say things to you that you may not have seen before. That's what I'm saying. Anybody has any take on that? Pastor Shino, you guys want to touch on that? Making reference to salvation and not to any other thing, not uh, favors or blessings from God, but making reference to salvation. In other words, you cannot get saved. Invent another means for your own salvation. Invent another means for your own salvation. Other than the sacrifice. Other than the sacrifice. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the sin. Yeah. That is the sin. That is the sin that uh, I think it was Paul who said an unpardonable sin because you are trying to invent some other way to get saved. Yeah. So, um, it is with reference to salvation. It's not with reference to uh, you know, you receiving as a believer, receiving a revelation to go and dip yourself in the, in the river <laughs> or to fast. God can tell you to do that. Yes. But this Thing is there is to only one way to only God. One way for salvation. Through his son Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Thanks for that clarity. What I'd just like to say to people is, do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. I mean, if people say God tells them to go and do some bizarre things, uh, God will vindicate himself. God is more than able to defend himself. I don't have to defend God. We don't have to defend God. He can defend himself. He can defend himself. And I guess the other side of that question is be careful what you're eating or hearing so you don't hear something off the wall and you go repeat it and say God said. Because you'll be on your own for sure. You can dip 14 times and nothing will happen. Father, we thank you for the assurance that we have in you as the ultimate sacrifice for, for eternal life. 
Uh, we bless, we honor you. Thank you for guiding us, leading us. We bless your name for this wonderful day. We receive Johnny masses as we go home. Bless us. Bless your people. Thank you, Lord God, for your grace. We receive it now. We thank you for your loving kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Good night.